still true, foundational truths that have not changed. And today, still true, I can forgive because I've been forgiven. There are some amazing relationships in Scripture between being forgiven and being forgiving. Being a forgiving kind of person and being forgiven. Let's dive right into one of those in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is showing us how to pray. And he says, pray like this. He says, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Okay, there's a relationship going on there. And he's actually saying, you know, in the way that I scoop out forgiveness, if I use a little spoon of forgiveness, then God, I'm asking you to use a little spoon of forgiveness with me. If I use big buckets of forgiveness, then then I'm asking you to give me big buckets of forgiveness. He kind of makes it even clearer a few verses later. He says, if you forgive other people, When they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Wow. There's a causal relationship there. It's an if-then proposition. If you are forgiving, then you will be forgiven. It's not just a command. It's a command with a warning that comes along. Now, Paul kind of puts a different spin on that relationship because it's complicated. And in Colossians 3, he says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If you have a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now, this is not forgiving in such a way that I can be forgiven. This is going, I've already been forgiven. Wow. How can I turn that into an ability to forgive other people? And you can, but it doesn't always work that way. You remember the story that Jesus told about the guy who was forgiven millions of dollars of debt and just the next day goes out and grabs somebody by the throat that just owes him a few bucks. So sometimes it doesn't work that way. How can we as Christians take this great forgiveness that we've been given and spin that into an ability to forgive other people? I think there's three ways that I see in Scripture And the first one is to remember, sometimes God's people are not very good with this. At my home church, Mount Hope Church of Christ, we just did a series called Wanderers, and we were looking at the children of Israel. It's from the book of Numbers, and then wandering in the desert for 40 years, and just after God has done these amazing things, they're already whining in the desert, and they just forget so fast. And God said, you know, this is after the the Red Seas have parted, and this is after the, the ten plagues, and this is just amazing stuff. And now, just a few years later, they're in the desert, and they're going, I don't like the manna. Uh, I'm tired of man. You know, they're just whining. And it's like, what's what's going on here? And the church is like that too. And we are like that too sometimes. And so all through Deuteronomy, you see the word remember pops up so many times because God wants us to remember what he's done for us. Deuteronomy 4, remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb and he said to me, assemble the people before me to hear my words so they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. In chapter 5, he says, remember you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. In Deuteronomy 8, he says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble you and test you and to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. In chapter 9, he says, remember, and then adds, and never forget 
how you aroused the anger of the Lord your God in the wilderness. From the day you left Egypt till the day you arrived, you have been rebellious against the Lord. In chapter 11, he says, remember today that your children were not the ones who saw and experienced the discipline of the Lord your God, his majesty, his mighty hand, his outstretched arm. In chapter 15, remember you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. That's why I give you this command today. And just like the children of Israel, we struggle to really remember how much God has done for us. And because of that, I want us to just take a moment, and I want you to remember your baptism. Most of us here have been baptized and experienced that amazing moment. Sins washed away, washed away. So would you just play along with me for a moment and close your eyes? And I want you to visualize as best you possibly can your baptism. We're going to remember. Remember how old you were. Remember where you were. Some of you were at Bible camp or home church or CIY, outside or inside. Remember the people that you were around, people that were around you. You may be able to remember who you spent time with that day, who you talked with, kind of leading up to that moment. Maybe it was a pastor or a good friend or one of your uh, family members. Remember how the water felt? Was the water cold? Was the water warm? Remember actually going down into the water, coming back up? Maybe you're with a crowd of people or maybe you're with just a few. Maybe you got lots of hugs, or maybe just got smiles from people. Remember how that felt? How did you feel about God and Jesus that day? How did you feel about the cross and the blood of Jesus and forgiveness? How'd you feel about church? Did you want to go to church that week? How'd you feel about reading the Bible? Did you want to read a Bible verse that week? Remember what God has done for you. You can open up your eyes now. Um, how many of you were baptized by a family member? How many by a pastor, pastor friend, or somebody on staff? Uh, how many of you were baptized indoors? In a church, maybe, or how many of you are baptized outdoors, maybe a pool or a, a river or a lake? Okay, cool. You know, if you can go back and really remember. I remember a good friend of mine was baptized on a Sunday night, and uh, the congregation we were in uh, had no windows in the sanctuary. And so after it was over, we, uh, the church would gather up, and we'd stand in a circle and all hold hands and sing, uh, you're part of the family. It's kind of a sweet little tradition, sweet little moment. And after that, lots of hugs and all that kind of stuff. And then we'd go out, and we didn't realize it had snowed during the service. Nobody even knew that. Nobody knew. And everybody paused at the big glass doors before they went outside, because no one wanted to be the first one to go outside and mess up the perfect evening parking lot, shining in the little streetlights, and our cars and everything was perfectly covered with snow, not a footprint anywhere in that entire parking lot. And the woman who had just been baptized kind of pushed her way through and got there to the glass doors and paused and just went, oh, it looks outside the way I feel inside. Oh, oh. And God has done that for you. 
and his mercies are new every morning. That's what God has done for you. A few years ago, I was contemplating on things not going right in my life, things that didn't click, things that didn't rhyme, uh, what was right, what was wrong, and turning in God's direction was the only thing. And um, I wrote a little song that I want to share for you um, that, uh, that kind of, I was just kind of mulling over the fact that it was only God that made things right. Uh, this is called The Song That Doesn't Rhyme. If you would uh, pay attention. Pay attention to the rhyme scheme. Okay, we could use a little more volume than that. Okay. I could stand up here before you and really make it seem like I've got it all together, like I'd realized all my hopes. But that wouldn't fool me, oh no, and that wouldn't fool you. You see, there's a lot that I don't know, and there's a lot that I can't accomplish. Well, you may have already noticed, but my song doesn't rhyme. If it did, it would not be just like I am most of the day. But I don't always fit in, and I don't always sound right. And I've got some things I'd really like to share with you today. Well, I don't want you to think I think my life is all in place. If I said that, I'd be lying. I couldn't look you eyes, but there is a special something that provides my life with rhyme. I want to sing to you about it while I've still got the opportunity. Because you see, the only time I sing in rhyme is when I sing with him. And the only way I live each day is when each day is for him. Well, I know seems odd, but the only time I sing in rhyme is when I sing of God. Well, now we're back into the verses, the non-rhyme part of the song. And if you sometimes feel just like that, then you may want to sing with me. If you don't always fit in, and if you're feeling mighty low, sing with me then, we both have got a long, long way to travel. Uh, sing this, would you? Because the only time I sing in rhyme is when I sing of him. And the only way I live each day is when each day is for him. Well, I know it may sound foolish, and I know but the only time I sing in rhyme is when I sing of the only time I sing in rhyme is when I sing of him. And the only way I live each day is when each day is for him. Well, I know it may sound foolish and I know that this seems odd, but the only time I sing in rhyme is when I 
like me, you don't have it all together. But it's only through the beautiful, amazing, fantastic forgiveness of God that you get to look white as snow on the inside every day, every day, every day. If you will remember that, remember that, remember that, you can forgive other people. Number two um, is to relate to other people. Relate to other people. I'm going to go straight to what is often called the Kenosis Hymn in Philippians 2, maybe one of the greatest passages in Scripture. And right there, it just capsulizes this amazing little hymn in Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant And being made in human likeness, found in his appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The uh, Native Americans say if you struggle with somebody, then you should walk a mile in their moccasins. Walk a mile in their shoes. Jesus, in this passage, this Christ that we're to follow, had this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. In this passage, it talks about him not walking a mile in our shoes. Jesus walked a lifetime in our skin. Wow. Wow. So he gets it. He relates. He understands. In fact, the Hebrew writer said it like this. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. We have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are, yet did not sin. Jesus relates. He gets it. And we are called to have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. It was a few years ago, a guy named Guy Dowd was nominated National Teacher of the Year, High School Teacher of the Year. And he was being interviewed, and he was a very humble guy. And they were asking him, uh, how did you become Teacher of the Year? And he's like, I don't think I deserve to be Teacher of the Year. Um, But they just asked him his daily routine, and he said, well, um, one of the things I usually do, I get to school early before any of the students are there. I go into my classroom, and I know who's struggling. And so I go and I sit down in, uh, in the desk of some students that are struggling, and I spend a little time praying for them. And so he would show up early, and he knew that Billy had, his parents had just gotten a divorce. So he would go over and sit in Billy's chair, pray for Billy and uh, of course he'd look up and he'd see a podium and a desk and he goes a teacher sits oh wow that's me I sit up there Wow, everything looks different when you sit in somebody else's chair when you walk in somebody else's shoes and he knew the girl that had struggled with bulimia she shared that with the with the class and uh, he would just go sit in her seat and he would just pray just pray for her and the fact that she'd shared that she's struggling with bulimia in the class. Everything looks different when you sit in somebody else's seat. And so after, after hearing that interview, I started going early to my little counseling center. I run Mount Hope Counseling Center just down the road. And uh, we've got a little waiting room <clears throat> with some couches set up, so I'm going to go early and sit on that couch where people sit and wait to visit with me. And talk about humbling. 
So I'd sit there and kind of look down the hall. And, you know, um, around the corner, there's a little door that says Dr. Wendt. You, know. you think, people sit here and wait to talk to me. I think, man, you know, what, what wisdom do I have? Uh, I don't know that I've got <coughs> wisdom for that. So, um, but I know who does. I know who does. So I'd spend some time you know, and pray. And, man, it changes everything. If you walk a mile in somebody else's shoes, if you sit in somebody else's seat, if you uh, do what Jesus did, have the mind of Christ, who walked not a mile in our shoes, but a lifetime in our skin. Number three, if you remember and relate, you also need to release. Um, that is why God came. That's why he sent his son. That's why, uh, from the beginning, when, when we sin, first sin, his goal was to release us from that. Romans 6, 22, but now you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness. The result is eternal life. In Romans 8, through Christ Jesus, the law of spirit who gives uh, you life has set you free from the law of sin and death. In Galatians 5, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. He has freed us from our sins. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And let's go again to that Colossians passage, which you read at the beginning of the service. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So God has set us free and he's calling us to use that to set somebody else free. You know, um, I was reading and this is, this was just fascinating to me, how they catch monkeys in the wild. It's kind of tragic, but it's true. They will take a cage um, somewhat like this uh, that's closed with a, a coconut or a pineapple inside, and it's weighted. It's got a concrete block in the bottom. It's, uh, it's way too heavy for a monkey to carry away, but it's got slits in it big enough that he can reach through, and he can grab the pineapple. And now he's got the pineapple, See, they just drop these around out in the wild and then drive away for six, eight hours. Monkey comes over, checks it out, reaches in, grabs the pineapple, and now he's trapped. And that's ridiculous because he's not trapped, but he is because it never even crosses his mind to let go. Never even crosses his mind. And they can drive back four hours later and they just get a big burlap sack out and they, they just collect the monkeys. And it's, it's terrifying. And of course, the monkey is freaking out, trying to get away and screaming and just, you know, just in all kinds of, trying to get away, but just never even thinks about releasing, about letting it go. Uh, when, when you release somebody or something who is set free oh my gosh yeah you know, when we release you're, you're, you're setting somebody something free but um, but you're the one you're the one set free uh, this was about a year ago there was a, a tragic story of Botham Jean uh, who was killed by accident uh, in his home how many of you know that story raise your hand if you know that story been all over the news, but when I was a college student, I never looked at the news, so don't blame you. But Botham Jean uh, was killed by Amber Geyer. She was a police officer who came home from a tough day of work, and she mistakenly got off on the wrong floor. 
and went into his apartment instead of her own apartment. And the door was unlocked. And Botham Jean was uh, just a neat, neat guy. Um, he was sitting on his couch eating ice cream. And she walked in, and he was shocked, and he stood up, and she was scared and thought that was her apartment. She pulls out her firearm, shoots, and kills him. Uh, tragic, tragic story. It finally came to trial um, just two weeks ago. And at that trial, and Botham was a student at Harding University. He had just graduated. Um, and I teach a couple grad classes at Harding University. He led worship in chapel all the time and led mission trips uh, back to his home country. It was just, he was just a fantastic young man at just eating ice cream in his living room. And then this disoriented woman walks in and she shoots him. And, uh, and she, on, on, uh, when she got up on the stage, um, she said, and I quote, I hate that I have to live with this every single day. I ask God for forgiveness. I hate myself every single day. I never wanted to take an innocent person's life. I am so sorry. Um, the trial was two weeks ago, and this was on the news just a couple weeks ago because each of the family members of Botham Jean, great guy, they got up and they're in tears and they're sharing what a great guy he is. And uh, Botham's brother got on the stage. And let's, let's watch that little clip. My family or anyone but... I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's what—that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not gonna say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please. Yes. next day, USA Today had this headline, um, Courtroom Forgiveness, Botham Jean's brother hugged Amber Geyer and the world took note. Yeah, the world takes note 
of forgiveness. Now, let me say this. Um, in complicated forgiveness situations, and I'm a counselor, so I work with that a lot. Uh, forgiveness doesn't always involve a hug. It doesn't always end like this did. And uh, forgiveness looked like that this day. It doesn't always end with you even speaking to the other person that you're trying to forgive. In complicated forgiveness, uh, forgiveness, and, and it's not an event. It's not, uh, forgiveness is not an event that a lot of people want. It's just boom, forgiveness, boom, it's done. It's, it's more like a process, especially complicated forgiveness. It's a process where it, it's a staircase. I don't know how many, 10, 20 steps, something like that. And forgiveness means getting on the staircase. That is what God calls you to do, to choose forgiveness. And sometimes the energy of doing that the first time, you know, it feels like you may go up nine steps, you know, but then there's going to be a rough day. There's going to be a rough day. And you may go back down three. Oh, and the next day you may go down two, you know, and you may go up. But by being on the staircase, you are choosing to forgive. And we're all called to forgive. In a, in a room like this, you know there are plenty of people with complicated forgiveness. You just know that. Uh, one in four women are sexually abused before the age of 18. Oh, my gosh. One in six men. That's just one dimension. I'm leaving here to go at 10 o'clock, Joplin Library. A bunch of counselors in town are partnering with one Joplin with Lafayette House talking about domestic violence. And trying to. Uh, it's called... Uh, it is an event for churches on how to handle domestic violence. Sometimes we don't handle that well. That's complicated forgiveness. No more complicated than some of your stuff, okay? And God doesn't call you to have to have a hug or but he calls you to forgive, to release, and you get freed. You get freed when you choose to get on the staircase. You get set free. Three messages today, and one of those is yours. I don't know which one. You pick. Pick one. Maybe pick two. Uh, some of you, some of us, need to remember how much God has forgiven us for. Do you remember how messed up you were before? Oh, man, you know. And Jesus is making an amazing difference. Remember that. And some of you, you take the Lord's Supper and you do it every week and you just don't even think about, we've got to remember. Number two, you've got to relate. You walk that mile in somebody else's shoes. And then maybe the message that you need is to release. Maybe it's just today's the day you choose to get on the staircase. You really let it go. Glory, glory, hallelujah. You are forgiven because he was forsaken. You are accepted. He was condemned. You're alive and well. His spirit is within you because he died and rose again. Still true. You can forgive because you've been forgiven.